0: This podcast was created by Startup Victoria and Victoria University. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. When things go wrong, duct tape can hold just about anything together. And when you're starting and growing a business, a lot of things can go wrong. Welcome to Duct Tape, a podcast mini series exploring how startup founders tackle unexpected problems. We call them duct tape moments, those make or break situations that force you to get creative, to think quick and act quicker, to keep the show on the road. And the truth is, every founder has them. I'm Lara Chan Baker, the producer and editor of Duct Tape, and you are about to meet your interviewer for today.
1: It does sound like a lot of founder uh, resilience and a willingness to roll your sleeves up. You weren't just like, oh God, it's broken, that's us
0: done. That is Poppy Truella, our resident British expat and Director of Programs and Partnerships at Startup Victoria. Everything she does centres on making sure founders have access to the best support the ecosystem has to offer. She leads Startup Vic's thriving industry partner network and growth club an invite-only program for Victoria's most successful scale-up founders. Poppy has spent quite literally thousands of hours in conversation with world-leading entrepreneurs, and today she's chatting to two mates in the music business.
2: Do you want to do the intro? or You do the intro, mate. You've, you've done it <laughs> a number okay. of times.
3: Just so we don't go,
2: who, do you want to take that one?
0: And that's Matt Elsley and Nick Larkins, the co-founders of Cusick. Matt and Nick went to school together and after graduating, they drifted off in different directions, each spending some time overseas. Then one fateful night, they both ended up at the same party somewhere in Richmond. Fast forward a bit and they'd started their first business together. You'll hear more about that shortly directly from them. But eventually, they were introduced to the new phenomenon that was music streaming and that's what shaped Cusick. To put it really simply, Cusick is a music streaming service for physical retail stores. What a lot of people don't realise is that it's actually against the law for shop or restaurant owners to just stream Spotify or YouTube. So one thing Cusick does is provide music with full commercial licences. But that's just the teeny tiny tip of the iceberg. Cusick is streaming that's smart in every way, incorporating everything from IoT devices, artificial intelligence, machine learning, big data, and analytics into one platform that fully automates the customer's audio experience based on what's actually happening right at that moment. Things like time of day, weather, location, who's in the store and where they are It's data like this that helps a platform determine what music or ads are just right for that situation and automatically adjust things like volume while enabling retailers to track and understand how audio impacts their bottom line. So instead of employees just whacking on whatever playlist they like willy-nilly, Cusick provides an analytical approach to music curation that drives real commercial outcomes like boosting customer mood or increasing sales. Matt and Nick founded Cusick in 2012, really early on in Australia's streaming industry, and it's now the market leader for commercial streaming, with thousands of stores using the platform daily, including groups like Maccas, 7-Eleven, and WeWork. I'll leave you now with Poppy, Matt, and Nick to tell you more about Cusick's journey and the duct tape moments they've had along the way.
1: Nick, Matt, hello. How are you both doing today?
2: Really
3: well. Thanks for having
2: us, Poppy.
1: Yeah, great to have you.
2: Excited to be here. Yeah, can't wait.
1: Now, uh, people may have read in the news recently that Cusick is doing pretty damn good. You've just raised, is it 4 million in a Series A round? Yeah,
3: that's right.
1: And you've both some pretty huge clients as well. I know you've got McDonald's and 7-Eleven and I think Mecca as well on your books.
3: Yeah, that's right.
1: So, doing some amazing stuff and would love to dig into all that impressive stuff at some point towards the end but first if you could take us back to day dot how did q6 start tell us a story
3: day dot well Nick and I originally had a, another company together yeah, called uh, easy control essentially that was our home automation business <laughs> that you know, we were going into these high-end homes throughout Melbourne and, and connecting all the various sort of subsystems of those homes, like lighting, security, audio visual, And we just found that we had this real knack for large multi-zone sound systems in these really high-end homes. And, and because of that, we started attracting a lot of people who just loved music and had huge music collections. And because this is sort of like the mid-2000s or so, like ripping CDs to hard drives would just take forever. Like streaming didn't exist <laughs> at the time. There was no one doing it here in Australia. And so we weren't looking for options of not doing that because it was just cutting all the fat out of these deals. And we found Rhapsody Run in the in the US. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we started patching that over into homes in Australia, you know, which you know we shouldn't have been doing. <laughs> like it was You know, But as soon as we were introduced to streaming, we were just like, this is an incredible medium and it's incredibly powerful. And you'd see the homeowner's reaction when you're like, yeah, you can have anything you want and we can plumb it anywhere in your house and you can zone it off and do whatever you want. Yeah, uh, uh,
2: streaming at the time was, yeah, it was was Shazam-like. Do you remember when Shazam first came out? Yeah. And you're like, I I had to use it like six times before I could, (laughs) you know, believe it was actually real. Like magic. Yeah, it was like magic, right? And then that was the same with streaming when you'd hand over – or expose someone to a streaming service. It was like what I'm trying to clock it, trying to beat it, and display a song that they wanted to hear. Because before that, you had to go and download it and infect your computer with I viruses, <laughs> and yeah. So it was, it was a Shazam-like kind of yeah. Product.
3: This, this is before like the iPhone, right? Like it, oh, wow. we were there's like dedicated devices just to control audio systems that you'd stick it in someone's hand and go type in any track that you want and hit play. And the first time that you saw people do this, it's just like that's incredible, like where is it? And it's a really complicated thing to explain to someone. When It's like, well, it's kind of everywhere and nowhere all at the same time, but it doesn't really matter because you can access it and play it whenever you want. So it was really like through that we grew and sort of started doing larger jobs and commercial jobs and we were introduced to how music and audio is handled in businesses and we were just like this is archaic compared to what we're doing in the residential sector that businesses have the most to gain from it, both from you know a contextual point of view you know, they're you know, doing things in a more dynamic way with data and context around what their customers want. You know, it just made a lot of sense to us. So we sort of branched off in a new path and here we are today, really.
1: Yeah, awesome. <laughs> what? How did you move from, because I assume you were working in kind of people's mansions actually with a hammer and in <laughs> putting this stuff in, weren't you? And yeah. then moving into the corporate world and retail seems like quite a big shift. How did that happen?
3: Well, you, you were always in Audiovisual, right?
2: Yeah. So I was, I was always in it, like in basically the construction side of audiovisual. So I was like on the tools quite a lot. <laughs> and then um, when I ran into Matt again, when I got back from the UK and I was keen on starting my own business in, in the AV field, he was working in, in hospitality, like in point of sale at the time. So that was what really exposed us to the commercial space. Like when I was, you know, chatting to him, I was like, i want to do this in the home He's like, well, you could actually do this in in a lot of these venues that I'm currently working with. And that's kind of led us into that commercial space and got us thinking about what else we could do here because we knew that we were exposed to how music was currently being provided to these businesses and we just couldn't believe how archaic it was. It was CDs literally being sent monthly and, you know, you very heavily reliant on staff to kind of manage it. And we were like, well, you should be able to to stream this and all the research we did around music for business, there wasn't anything around streaming, but there was a lot of articles around like, you know, the power of music and, mm-hmm. you know, what it can do for businesses. It increases spend by X percent. It can do this, it can do that. And early on we were like it's so funny it's all observational yep. and matt had this really great background in point of sale and you know at the time big data and all this kind of thing was the hype we we're like well if you've got this experience with point of sale can we try and measure it
3: can we leverage it yeah to just a higher level of value than just what they're looking at from you know a transactional bean counter essentially
1: yeah totally
3: um, which had, you know we definitely got there. It just it took way longer than we thought.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because what year was that? So when you came back from the UK and you started talking about this stuff, when was that?
2: That was 2009. Yeah, yeah I got back from the UK. Yeah. And then, yeah, we started Easy Control that year as well and then... You know, we started working on QZ pretty – Or uh, it was actually called E-Beats back then. But E-Beats? We, yeah.
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> and, we couldn't, and then we had trademark yeah, We <laughs> couldn't, we couldn't
0: oh, license really? it, yeah. yeah. Oh.
2: Um, and then, yeah, we started working on that, which took a long time because we just kind of naively thought, you know, let's reach out to Sony and let's see see what they think of it. And they actually helped us get the first prototype off the ground. Oh, for, really? Yeah, yeah, because they, they had a product at the time that Bandit FM that was running – you know, Songle FM, which is Australia's first streaming service at the time mm-hmm. because it launched before the likes of Spotify and Pandora and those guys entered the market. We kind of kept pushing, you know, with the ARIs and the RAM costs of the world and, you know, building out a product that was just meant to be a value-add product to, to easy control. It wasn't...
3: Yeah, <laughs> so we were thinking we were going to be end-to-end, like solution architects, you know, design, implement all the hardware provide the platform, provide the intelligence, so go complete end-to-end and then figured out that we really didn't want to do like, the hardware component <laughs> of it. You know, yeah,
1: it well, really we put, the, put p- the tools down, did you?
2: Well, yeah, we learned the lessons the hard way in regards to you need to understand what music to play. When we first started, it was just Matt and I Putting together what we thought was a good mix,
1: <laughs> DJ Falcons yeah. and DJ.
2: Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. got no like
3: you know no. Well, all my playlists ended up sounding exactly the
2: same. <laughs> yeah, like and a so- bad wedding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just like- um, well, it just it just showed us how much work needs to go into mm-hmm. that side of the business, and we we're you know fortunate enough. One of the first businesses we approached, we, we ended up meeting our our head of content, Todd, who was a manager of a Melbourne Public down down on the the wharf down there on the Exhibition Centre. And uh, he ended up kind of scrutinizing the playlist very early on. He goes, what are you guys doing here? You know, do you need a hand because I'm an ex-DJ and I, oh, can, wow. I know what I'm doing here?
3: Sort of suggested it? that we that we didn't know what we were
2: doing. Yeah, <laughs> it was like kind of like, so how do we just get a, a DJ or a head of content? And, you know, is that a unique hire for an AV business? <laughs> we're like, this has got to be split out into its own little entity and let's focus on it because it's going to take a lot of attention. It can't just be like a value add. Yeah, service. so at,
1: at that point you made it its own thing, did you, and kind of followed your nose that way? Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. We put the tools down and, you know, we, we just knew, like, because when we launched in 2014, it was the same year that Spotify entered the market. Oh, wow. Well, RDO was already out, which is a, a streaming service that... Um, Songle was still... still yeah, was and Pandora was here as well. But it, it was fortunate for us because it educated the market on streaming. Mm. And you know it made our pitch a lot easier when we were going to pubs and we we're saying we well, this is a streaming service you heard of streaming you pick anything we're commercially licensed and we just came at the right time right price point
3: at that, <laughs> at that point though we'd be working on it for like two years like, yeah because all the music licensing that exists in Australia to like stream music into businesses was actually written in conjunction with Nick and I and the licensing bodies because like before then it just it just didn't exist
1: wow so you're right at the heart of like yeah, they, they the were written, they were written stuff.
3: for our our business. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing.
2: <laughs> Which I think is still similar today, right? Like you know, you can go get the same licenses, right? Because it was streaming was just so new. Yeah. In terms of like streaming, like globally, I think
3: Qusic is probably in the top ten first streaming services just that ever existed. Wow. Yeah,
1: And I guess most of the others who are like a Spotify, they probably wouldn't have been going after your local pub. They were going after consumers presumably. So yeah. you were yeah. you're the first to market in terms of knocking on mm. your pub's door and saying, hey, do you want to stream? And they're yeah. like, what is this magic and witchcraft? <laughs>
3: <laughs> then the, the problem that we immediately bumped into was, you know, their internet was just complete rubbish. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like it was like a Ferrari down a dirt track, like it was just <laughs> mm. you know, so many pain points. So, they'd,
1: they'd try and stream something, and then the whole pub would be quiet because their internet had cut out, yeah. and they go back to their trusty CD yeah. playing yeah. the same 10 songs on repeat because at least it's going to play, kind of thing.
3: Yeah, well, it's just you then you learn about redundancy. It's mm. you know, it works perfectly when everything was fine, but then they've got Open Wi-Fi, and they've got all their customers jumping on it, and just consume all the bandwidth, oh, and then things course. would start working terribly. And it's just—it's all like at the time it was almost just impossible to troubleshoot all that stuff. So you'd leave the building, and it'd be like, "It's—it's it's happening again." And you go back in, and you're like, "It looks fine."
1: <laughs> and you become like a Wi-Fi call-out person rather than
2: yeah. Like it's funny. One of the early days, you end up—you know—you get a phone call. It's always on a Friday night, <laughs> six of or seven o'clock. <laughs> And you know it would be like Nick in support handing over to Roger in you know yeah. escalation, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it'd be hey the music's gone out like really panicky, yeah. and you'd be like oh well I think your internet's gone down, um, is your POS system working? And they're like oh fuck, <laughs> and they hang up from you and then they're onto the POS guy. Yeah. So you're always like the first. You're like the first. Wow,
3: yeah, that's Whatever. right. I forgot about that. Like when the when the like the Ethernet enabled FPOS terminals came in, like we were that leading indicator that. You know, there was much bigger problems, so we were just the first one that they noticed. Yeah, Mm. wow. The alarm.
1: What did you do at that point then? (laughs) So you're selling into these pubs, and the your product's great, but they can't, they don't have the internet to run it.
3: You build it like around it, you know, like the the we knew that the the connections would catch up, and they definitely have, and we don't have any of those problems today. But, you know, you build in redundancy, you start buffering tracks for a lot longer. You buffer like a few tracks so then if there are blips and there are things happening in between, you know, the platform can sort of skip across them. We also do things now like, you know, dynamically assessing the health of the internet so we can push things into fallback uh, into an offline mode. And then when the internet heats a threshold that we deem as healthy, then we can automatically just bring it back online. So the system will do a lot of self-detecting and self-leveling now. Yeah. It's just it didn't do anything like that when we started.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so half product development and half just patience waiting for internet to get better basically. Um, but spending
3: <laughs> thousands of hours in stores and like okay. everyone's amplifier always seemed to be under a stairwell and yeah. Just so dirty yeah, and dusty in weird
2: spaces for yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs>
1: yeah. Do you still do that today? Are you like going into a 7-Eleven and crawling into weird spaces?
3: Um, it's, it's so funny you say that cuz I'm probably going that, that tomorrow. Oh, really? <laughs> we, you and I were doing that yesterday. Yeah, we, we hadn't yeah. done that for such a long time. I was yeah. like, "Ah, and it's,
1: but usually you wouldn't have to these days, These
3: no, we, days we going. No, uh, we we're just specking out some new technology that we we're oh, rolling out yeah. across the group.
2: So it is always good to get back into the stores. So like yeah. you learn a lot, I think, by being on sites. A lot of the the products that were built off the back of the music side of the business has come from just being in store and learning about the environments you're working in and you yeah. know, how can we be better and what, what other value can we add?
3: And listening to customers because like more often than not, they'll tell you exactly what they're dealing with you know but if you're not listening you don't hear it you don't hear it
1: yeah totally and speaking of your customers then so you've you've got huge customers on your books like am i right in saying mcdonald's and Seven Eleven and mecca are your customers yeah how how did you move from going into people's homes and setting this up into selling into someone like mcdonald's
3: that's a good question like i guess it kind of goes to the nature of who we are we've always been sort of shoot the lights out kind of people.
2: <laughs> it was we were fortunate though, like we had just the, the opportunities came up. So it was like we were so focused on the early days on the hospitality space yeah. mm-hmm. and we are lucky to be able to engage with some of the great Australian hospitality groups and then through that we just had the opportunity to pitch to Mech as a, like a good example you know, when we started working with them, they only had like 40, 44 stores. Oh, wow, yeah. So they were big, but like we grew with them as well. Nice. And we learned a lot from working with them and we just, just saw the value in working with larger retailers as well because there's so much more opportunity. And through that we were then like, well, what are the opportunities like with you know, McDonald's and you yep. know, the rest of them?
3: We did target the the top end of town because we mm-hmm. were just thinking – Look, if we, co- if we concentrate on market leaders, you know our technology will trickle down
1: because
3: yep. if we're focused on in-store experience and doing that in a really data-driven way through like automated infrastructure and content, the people who are more likely to pay for that are going to be the people who are highly focused on it, like the McDonald's yeah. of the world.
1: And have got um, the money too, I suppose.
3: Well, there's a reason why that they've been at the head of their industry for 60 years. Mm. It's because they continually invest you know in their product in their spaces you know in their product development their branding like everything like just in, in store is just another component of that evolution and Qsix is a platform that allows for easy evolution of that space
1: I love hearing about your product. I love hearing about the journey. And uh, you've already shared a few moments where you're like, oh, God, like <laughs> is it all crumbling before our eyes? But presumably there's some more throughout the journey where you've you've thought, what the hell are we doing? This isn't going to work or, oh, shit, it's all over. Would you mind sharing a few of what we like to call on this podcast duct tape moments?
3: Yeah, we've got, we got plenty of those. <laughs> like, I suppose the one that the first brings mine is probably the very first one this is like before we were like sitting on AWS and as first-time founders, we weren't really sure what or how to build much of anything. So we built like a whole platform on a single instance and it was sitting in one of those server farms <laughs> that you know we'd managed ourselves. And what happened was we had probably maybe 30 or 40 customers and they changed their routing like into the data center and it was routing all our traffic in really weird ways. And what happened was like, moving from one track to another just stopped working. So oh, no, playlists no. wouldn't just continually play. And so like our phones just started blowing up with all these unhappy people that we convinced them that this was a really great platform and it was going to change their business. And this was like weeks after launch and none of it was working. And so <laughs> what we did was like we team viewed into everyone's computers and like was looking at their controllers and we literally had – Forty team viewers all concurrently open, like no skip, like to the next track.
1: <laughs> oh no!
3: Yeah, like and, and like we had two screens each.
1: It was just the two of you. Just
3: the two of us. Like it was, mm. we were the only two in the business at the time. Oh god! And like we had just everyone's players up, and you'd just be looking everywhere to see what track is coming to the end, and you'd be like, bang, hit that one, bang, hit that one, and then Nick would be like, you're missing one. There's one <laughs> over there. And, like you just. <laughs> And, like, one of us would be on the phone with the hosting company just being like, look, you got to fix this and rah, rah. And our developers at the time, we had a full team like over in India that, you know, this is, like, V1 of of Cusick and so they were all offline. No one could help. And I guess And You didn't
1: know how long it was going to go on for. You could have been sat at that yeah, computer it, pra- it pressing skit. It went for
3: eight hours. Eight
1: like, hours.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mission control. It was horrendous. So, like, one <laughs> would have to run to the bathroom. So then you covered four <laughs> screens. Like, it was... It's I can only
1: imagine what well, yeah. you must have felt at the end of that. You must have been seeing stars. Right?
3: Yeah, it was horrendous.
1: <laughs> were you able to smooth it over with the customers afterwards? Were there any complaints or were they like, uh, oh, no,
3: not too many actually, not from the initial ones. And then we got it. Okay, this is how we'll solve this for now. Mm. But at one point, it was just like, oh my god, this is never going to end.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be sat at this computer for the rest of my life, and there's no escape. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, it was. Just, yeah, it was horrendous, but they, they, like, they fixed it. I think it happened once like a few weeks after that as well. And we knew yeah. exactly what to do. we going, hey, call this guy, change this setting back, and then rolled it back. It was fine. Yeah. But that was when we were like, you know what, I don't think this platform should sit on a single server. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> yep. like a terrible idea. <laughs>
1: But it does sound like a lot of founder uh, resilience and a willingness to roll your sleeves up. You weren't just like, oh, God, it's broken, that's us done. You were like, cool, let's sit down for eight hours and manually press next song. (laughs) Yeah,
3: but but we were completely bootstrapped for the first two and a half years really of the business. When we, you know, Nick and I poured everything we had into this and just you know, very typical, just maxed out many cards just to get everything moving. So when that was happening, we would rent one office desk off a shared office space, and we were both crammed <laughs> on it. So those four screens were sitting on a single desk, oh, wow. and we're like shoulder to shoulder, like touch, <laughs> touching
2: each other, like mm. and then trying to work.
1: <laughs> I mean, if you could get through that, I feel like you can get through anything.
2: <laughs> yeah, the guys that ran the office we knew quite well, and yeah, they, probably, they put up with us. Uh, eventually, take at some point, they were
3: like, "Look, well, can you?" Can you get two desks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah, can you just, you know, cough up the 120 bucks and get another one? Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. yeah. Wow. So after that then it sounds like you moved it off one, uh, what did you say it was called? A s- streaming, s- no, was it? Server. Server, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. that's the tech term, thank yeah. you. You moved it off one server, did you? Moved to another?
3: Well, that was like V1. It was almost like we launched an MVP like live into the market
2: it kind of like we ended up like you know you got all that a few, few of these customers and we were working with a remote team out of India as Matt mentioned and then we kind of at the same time we ended up working with a company out of the uh, the UK that helped back end a lot of what we were doing from a streaming mm. perspective and they were a big company that powered a lot of streaming services at the time and we we ended up doing a, a deal with them where they became they were the first startup that they ever. Worked with, but uh, as part of that, we, you know, we couldn't afford to pay for the services, so it was like a you know, guinea pig. Well, they they became a shareholder basically. Oh, got you.
1: Nice. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and so, which was equity. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there, there was an equity split and all that kind of thing. But then at that time, we ran into our, you know a, a first employee, and we still were bootstrapping the whole thing, and was had some paying customers, um, and we bought him on and he just cleaned up a lot of that server oh, stuff. Yeah. So we ended up moving to AWS and, you know, started building on top of, you know, cloud. And in conjunction with this, you know, company out of the UK, which was amazing. And then at that stage, we put the CTO at the time on a, on a salary, but, you know, we were clearly yeah, still we, bootstrapped and we didn't have a lot of-
3: We borrowed money. Do you
2: remember? we yeah, borrowed we borrowed,
3: money. It. we borrowed 50 grand of my sister oh. to hire him. Oh, really? And we were like, no, no, by the time like we come to pay that back, like we'll be making money and it'll be, we'll be fine. Yeah. Had and, the timing of that like way off. Oh,
1: didn't we?
2: And it, yeah, <laughs> it your got sister to bang
1: banging on your door. That's
2: my cat. I look back on it. I was like, what was she thinking? <laughs> I know. I was thinking too at the time. I was like, I'm never going to be able to pay that. That's heaps. <laughs> you know? oh. I was so confident we were going to do it.
3: No, don't we know. did. By the way, like there no, we go. so there like, we go. Well,
2: that's the thing because we only had like you know four months worth of runway to have an employee on. Yeah. So yeah, we we took on our first employee, and we had this you know great company backing us as well that you know really did power some of the biggest streaming services mm-hmm. in the world. We had like a, I guess our cap table looked great because we had this great company out of the UK yeah. and. You know this this kind of thing, so we thought let's we better go raise some money because and we had paying customers, so we went on the roadshow from there and we didn't have a lot of time, did we? It was like three three months worth of runway really. Fire
1: under your ass. Yeah,
2: fire under the <laughs> ass, and we did we, we basically did the the roadshow of like everyone and and man did it. we get ripped apart. <laughs> <laughs> looking back on it, we we had no idea what we were doing, and you know we got ripped apart quite a lot from a pitch perspective, <laughs> and then you know That's where to learn exactly yeah Yeah. it was the best best way to learn and we kind of ran out of ideas didn't we at one stage and i remember sitting in like proud mary in collingwood and uh, i was like like, what are we gonna do here this is like you know you know who do we this is about two
3: two and a half years in at this point yeah
2: and we called um our first investor andy mullins who runs sandhill road and we sat down with him and told him the story along with
3: three other really great founders as well at the time and
2: yeah, well, yeah, yeah exactly. So the, the, the boys, so it was Andy, Matt, Doug, and Tom, and we told them the story and, you know, they were like just sold on it, weren't they?
3: Well, they got it They're because they're really amazing publicans that they, you know, are so focused on experience. And when we're talking about, you know, trying to design experiences and curate them in real time, it just really spoke to them and they just got it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh. And then like We just need to talk to more people like this.
2: And, and like part of that pitch was too, like this is what we've got, we've got our customers, you know, we've got this great CTO and, you know, this great company backing us out of the UK. And that sold it. Like we it, it was a little bit of a process going through, you know, due diligence with them all. And we ended up, you know, doing a little angel round with them. I remember we were like, well, we only need a couple of hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah.
3: And then at the, like Andrew Lark, who became our chairman, he was just like, you need double that. Okay.
2: Yeah. yeah, a lot <laughs> yes. more than that. Yeah. And, uh, which is right. And then, yeah, from there, we, we did this deal and we moved into their offices and everything. And it was a, a week in and, you know, everyone was really excited. And we were on a plane to play Sydney, aren't we? Yeah. We, we had this pitch up in Brisbane. So we got the old, right, 6 a.m. Tiger, you know, for, <laughs> for a 12 p.m. pitch. Yeah. <laughs> Just the cheapest thing you
3: could get, yeah. and then um, we weren't we, even sitting next to each other. we were, so we're sit- sitting like across a hall, like oh, uh, yeah. across the aisle from each other.
2: And yeah, I kind of I don't know why, but I was looking on my phone at something, and uh, I looked down, and the business that you know we'd been working with out of the UK, there was a headline on it, and it it said you know. We're going to voluntary administration. No. And we were yeah, like, effective, like immediately. effective immediately. And then literally it was like, and ding. The, and like we took off, and I'm like, no we had no internet. internet. That's all we read.
3: <laughs> yeah. the plane's taking off, and he leans over to me. He goes, Have you seen this? And I remember looking at this phone, and like as we're taking off, like, like I'm scrolling through the article, and then no more internet. <gasps> we're locked off from all our employees, oh, all God. of our investors. We can't call anyone. And I don't think, like, we just strategized like, the whole time, didn't we, about, mm. like, who are you going to call? You focus on, like, internal, I'll focus on external. Like, how are we going to nut through this? And, like, just created our list of, like, who are we are going to speak to? What do we need from them? How do we navigate it?
2: Mm. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was just because the, the, the money had just gone in the week before. So I was like, you know, hey, we're, we're off. And then how are we going to explain this one? <laughs>
1: Uh, I feel sorry for whoever's sitting next to you both on that plane having to listen to you be like, oh God, what are going to do? But yeah. it sounds in some ways like having a, uh, I don't know how long the flight was, two hour flight with no internet and time just to chat to each other was maybe quite useful because you got to sit back and think before making any rash decisions and calling people in a panic and get in hand and be yeah. focused and calm about it maybe. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was a bit of time. And, you know, when we, we started thinking it through, we kind of, you know, we came up with a bit of a plan and, and, you know, we acted quickly, to be honest. Yeah,
3: and super decisively. Like there was about 12, 12 services that were so much bigger than ours and like global names, you know, like global platforms. And from when that happened, we transitioned like off them. Like we're the only service that actually survived wow. that administration, like all the other services. No, no longer existed from that point.
1: Wow! I mean, that says something in itself. What What did you do then? Where Where did you go from there?
3: I, I was so funny though. Like when we when we brought them on, I remember thinking, oh, "It'll like it'd take us years to build this kind of infrastructure and to do what they do. Like, would just it'd take years and millions and millions of dollars." And then we were backed into a corner, and we were like build go
2: <laughs> again we, ha- we have to build again everything it was ourselves. Uh, you know if that had happened 2 years earlier we would have probably not yep. have been able to get through it but because we were cloud it. and aws and like it was just going bananas at that stage all this infrastructure they were building it it was all software as a service stuff yeah so it was off the shelf like we could go to aws and and use all this stuff that they you know that we were getting previously from someone else and yeah again timing we we're lucky
3: yeah, su- super lucky. But like look we did move really really quickly. Yeah. And you know decisively and to be honest like like our customers wouldn't have actually noticed wow. anything. Mm. But it took us about 3 weeks to and that we got notification about a few days after after the administration notice went out that you know the service would exist for 4 weeks from that point on and <laughs> okay, yeah. and then it was sort of like it may exist past that point, but we're not really sure. It may not. So we were like, look, we've got four weeks. Let's go. And what we thought would take us years—that sort of—that would essentially be QZik, probably V three. I think at that point, mm. it was built in three weeks.
1: Wow, <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> built in
1: three weeks. That's mad as it is. It's funny what you can do when there's a deadline like that. And mm. yeah, yeah, it way. changes your perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> From thinking we'll never build this in a million years to we can do it in three weeks. <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah, the tools yeah. were there though.
1: Yeah,
3: the tools were there, but like, mate, we worked some serious hours. Like, we were sleeping in the office. Wow. You know, it was twenty four seven. I just like we just didn't leave. Like, we just slept on the floor. You get up, and like, we were dealing with administrators in the UK. So I was working their time zone
0: Ooh. because they
3: were shareholders, and so yeah. we had to unwind them being a shareholder because that entity no longer existed. And it's incredibly hard.
1: Very complicated and yeah, a very stressful as well. By the sounds of
3: it. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever dealt with administrators, and they, you know, they're just there to sort of carve up the business and yeah. sell what they can and get what money they can, and
1: they don't really care about who's on the other end of the phone.
3: Oh, it's, there's no relationship there. No. It's just like we're just here to carve it up and sell it and give shareholders something. Yeah.
1: Wow. Wow, what a story! But I guess that means you now, uh, or since then, have been operating on your own server, which brings that control in house and means that you don't have issues where it, it drops out and you're having to press play for <laughs> manually for them, or they go into administration. So that must have been, in the long run, a nice piece of freedom to now have to know that you own it yourselves. Is it?
3: Yeah. Well, when we built like sort of the V three, like the first time we stood on our own legs, like end to end, we did look at moving it to other services because there were, there were some others around, but then like, we'd, we'd had one partner before, and then we'd had this other in the UK and we were like, do we want a third? Like, are we going to make this mistake again? Or should we just actually really ruggedize and build what we want to build and then be in control of like a whole stack? And it was pretty unanimous in the business, right? It was like, let's not bring another third party in. Let's just build it all ourselves. So that's mm. when we really built like V4 and, and built everything sort of properly.
2: Yeah, totally. That's yeah. funny though, like now you now we look at it and like the the cost in a business and you know, just looking at music streaming in general and it's kinda for me it's 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 quite commoditized, right? Like I don't see why we host the same content that's hosted on Apple or mm. Apple hosts the same contents that's so hosted on Spotify and you know, is there a way to kind of get out of the management of the infrastructure yeah. because that's not where the value is for us right like yeah. the value is on the on the data side and you know how can we
3: well con- like like you said all the content's the same yeah like all those services even our competitors they've all got the same tracks as we do yeah. but it's, that's not really the value exchange that we sell on
1: yeah the, the data piece, actually, a question around that, because you said early on that uh, people were anecdotally saying that music has an impact on things like sales and how people feel in shops and things mm-hmm. like that. Now that you've been going for a while, do you have that kind of data? Can you prove that a certain song you play is going to make a difference to the commercial kind of drivers in a retail store?
3: Yeah, we can definitely link content to it. We've done so much work in like analytically, you know, proving out what the platform actually does. Mm. But like we knew from observational research and we've got so many papers on that that's, Mm. you know, people actually just observing people in store under certain conditions and what it it actually does. So we knew that largely this worked but no one had really done much from that analytical point of view. So we just took that really data-driven approach, you know, with what context do we need on how people behave in store, Mm. how does it affect you know, t- transactions and under what conditions can we insert change at certain points in time yep. to drive the behaviours that the business wants to see.
1: I suppose looking at today then, and thank you for that history about how it's all come about <laughs> and the, the journey you've been through over the past, what, over 10 years, I suppose. Uh, you've just raised, you just raised $4 million. What is the plan for Qsic going forwards? What are you going to spend the money on if you don't mind sharing a bit more about the vision?
3: It's the team, really. Yeah. Yeah, scaling the team. Mainly engineers. I think in the last sort of seven months, we've doubled in size. Wow! Yeah, we're growing in the US as well. So we've got American employees now that, you know, due to COVID, we've actually never met them in person. it's so yeah, well. somewhat frustrating. But you know, <laughs> you learn to try to develop a culture over Zoom.
1: Yeah, totally. And is the US going to be your kind of main market going forward? Are you looking for global domination, or are you focusing there first?
3: Definitely focused on the US. It's just such an unbelievably huge market for what we do. You know, having product market fit in the sort of petrol and convenience, quick service restaurants and grocery, those industries in America are just so big. Yeah. And so, like, we've always just taken that approach of, like, look, we don't need to be everywhere to be a juggernaut of a business. We can just focus in on Australia and the U.S., because every other market we bring on, we just split our resources and time. So
1: Yeah, totally. I've heard people say previously, when you're looking to expand outside Australia, you either do the world or you do America and you don't do both. You know, you do yeah. everywhere but America or you do America. So I suppose if it, if it makes sense for your, your product, then it makes sense to go there and double down.
3: Well they got a, a like a very similar way of doing business, really. Yeah. It was just it was a natural progression from us. And actually we had, you know, um Seven Eleven Australia introduce us to seven eleven in the US. And we've had other um quick service restaurant brands introduce us to to other counterparts in the US. So we've we've sort of naturally experienced a fairly decent pull to the US and we probably needed no convincing to get over there and <laughs> give it a go.
1: It's fascinating. I could honestly ask you questions all day, but I suppose we should probably wrap things up uh, before I take all your evenings. Thank you so much, both of you, for being on the podcast today, sharing some of the vulnerable stories of where things haven't gone quite as well as you you might have hoped they have in the past. But it's great to see where you are today and can't wait to see where you take Cusick going forwards as well.
3: Thanks, Poppy. Cheers.
0: that's it for this episode of duct tape if you enjoyed it good news we've got a whole lot more coming for you in fact there's already a ton of fascinating interviews with victorian founders right on our website it's ductaped.co, so d-u-c-t-t-a-p-e-d.co so head there for more and please i'm going to ask you again to go rate and review the podcast we really appreciate it and it really helps us figure out if we should do more of this while you wait for our next episode, check out Cusick. You can take a look on Instagram at Get to see an awesome snapshot of all the work that they're doing. Also, they're on the lookout for smart, passionate developers and engineers to join the team. So if you're keen to work with some of the most innovative bricks-and-mortar brands in Australia and the US and have a real love for music, check out the careers page on their website, just is forward slash careers. Duct Tape is a collaboration between Startup Victoria and Victoria University. An enormous thank you to Matt Elsley and Nick Larkins for sharing with us today. To Poppy Truella, our wonderful interviewer. And to the rest of the team, Judy Anderson, Jordan Gianfrancesco and Hannah G. I've been your narrator, producer and editor, Lara Chan Baker. We'll catch you next time with the next episode.